This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name is Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my 3-4 classroom as well as for our games club, games days and many other purposes. You can also find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. And I'm Donald Dennis. I'm the Business, Games, and Technology Librarian for the Georgetown County, South Carolina Library System, where I provide technology and gaming programs and manage our small business center. I'm the producer of the Onboard Games podcast at onboardgames.net, and you can find me as Onboard Games on Twitter. Excellent. So how have things been uh, rolling along at the library recently, Don? Things have been going well at the library. My status there has changed. Uh, What used to be part small business center and then part game room has changed into a uh, business and technology center which also encompasses games but i'm teaching classes to uh, not only to the younger kids but to uh, seniors on how to use ipads and other technology devices so uh, things are always changing at the library despite uh, many librarians best efforts Oh, it sounds good. Yeah, I like it. It's exciting, and uh, it's very entertaining being able to entertain a group of people who are thankful to be there. You know, I think that that we can all agree that as educators, whether in a formal or informal setting, that it's much easier and much more fun to do so when you have a willing group of people who are there as opposed to children who, you know, are coerced to be there or, you know, who might not be having the best day or whatever. That uh, just having excited people makes uh, teaching much more exciting. Let's say it again, brother. That's right. (laughs) Uh, It makes a world of difference, that's for sure. There's not um, been a huge amount changing between last episode and this episode at uh, my school. Um, We've been continuing with the Games Club after school um, with the Smith family that I talked about um, in previous episodes. And uh, that's been exciting to see the number of kids uh, slowly growing um, as a part of that. And also what's been really great is to see the number of um, parents that have been coming along as well. So and they didn't just come along once and then um, just drop the kids off and leave. They've come back every time, so they must see something in it. It must be you know, an enjoyable experience for them. So that's been something that's been really positive. Very na- nice. Um, yeah, our, our games night at one of our branches has pretty much died off. Uh, so we're going to have to re you know, organize and maybe change the time that it's happening at and with everybody's changing schedules. It's getting to that time of year as well, Don, when um, I'm not sure about over there, but certainly here in Australia, things are really, you know, we're in the final term of the year and um, things are really picking up a pace. So it makes scheduling things and, um, you know, getting people along to things a little bit more difficult because everybody's, uh, you know, racing to sort of get everything done by the end of the year. Right. Well, uh, well, we are coming up to the end of the year. We're just coming up to the middle of our school year, so it's kind of kind of different. But on the on the other hand, I guess it's the same. What with the holidays and whatnot coming up. Yeah. So this episode, we're going to be talking about geography games, games that are to do obviously with uh, geography, with maps and uh, terrain and natural features, man-made features, all those sort of things. Right, and um, I think that uh, there's a couple of things we should get uh, across before we leap into the main topic, and which is that, you know, with natural features, you know, when people think geography, they tend to think maps and, you know, larger, you know, relative locations of places and stuff. But for physical geography, you can just be talking about geography types as well. And, you know, I've used a couple of games for this, like uh, Tobago or uh, Tuluva, Mondo, games like that, yep. where instead of instead of really 
using a real map that shows real locations, you're saying, oh, this map has you know volcanoes and forest and desert and this you know and and you'll build sort of geographic areas out of them or or even magic the gathering which uses specific land types to generate specific kind of powers for spell casting you know back when they came up with uh, the exotic lands like the tundras and 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 different kinds of lands that were mixed lands that didn't necessarily fit in one just one area or another these kinds of cards can open up questions or open up uh, you know conversations that uh, you know you can talk about geographic features as well and all of a sudden it becomes more important to kids because it's something that they need to know so that they can compete in the game but maybe they don't need to know exactly what you're telling them but it seems like when they get excited about something you can slip in extra information and they don't mind so much yeah it's an interesting one isn't it i mean it's easy in one sense to anatomize geography and say it's really about knowing where things are in relation to other things, you know, that Australia is over here, that the US is over there, that uh, Germany is in a, uh, over here, knowing the names of yeah. the continents and, and so forth. That's, in, in, a, in a simplistic sense, that, you know, obviously is geography. But, you know, from a curriculum point of view, from my point of view as a teacher, some of the things that we need the kids to walk away understanding are to identify, you know, features on maps. They need to be able to use a key. They need to be able to work out directions. They need to be able to, uh, you know, recognise the difference between natural features, man-made features. All of these aspects fall under the banner of geography, you know, from our curriculum point of view. And, and all of these things, you know, can be handled or, or, or talked about or, you know, a window to them can be found in different games. Right. Um, and I don't know if you've... Uh, have you played Minecraft at all? I haven't, no. Minecraft, okay. Uh, for a while, when, when Minecraft first came out, basically all the world was one giant biome, and which means it had sort of the same terrain type. Some might have more water or less water, and then they added in desert biomes, and then they added in uh, areas where there was going to be snow and snowfall and things like that. And, and that opened up huge conversations uh, with talking with my kid about... Well, you know, what biomes have we lived in? You know, we lived up in New York, and now we're down in the, <laughs> the hot and sweaty south, uh, you know, and, and talked about the differences of, you know, animals that were available in different biomes and whatnot like that. So, yeah, I think that, and, and it's, sometimes it's important to emphasize the difference between political geography versus uh, physical or, or natural geography. Yeah, that, that's another very interesting one as well. You know, some games focus on that the political side of things. You might have uh, the names of countries and so forth. Others, uh, you more, you know, what are the topographic maps where you're looking mainly at the uh, natural features here, the natural features there. So, you know, all of those things are important. And even even something as simple as uh, you've got a, a board set up and there's, you know, forest uh, spaces, there's spaces of open grassland, there's hills and and things like that. I'm thinking games like uh, you know Carcassonne or Memoir 44 or some other of those games. Um, considering those different terrain types, uh, you know, in the context of the game, uh, Memoir 44 is a is a war game set during the Second World War, and players are moving their their little army uh, men around the board, trying to obviously you know attack and defeat their opponents. So you know, being considerate of the terrain and using it to your best advantage is important. But what what an important part of it as well is being able to look at it and identify um, that that symbol or that picture on that particular tile means a forest. That particular picture on that particular tile means a town. And, uh, you know, that comes back to the ability to identify terrain types on a map. You know, you can build a key out of it or, um, you know, memoir right. comes with different terrain cards that match up with uh, the different terrains you might see on the board. And right there you've got the key to the information on the board. And so, you know, that can be a really interesting way of approaching, you know, that even even that basic learning about finding uh, the information in a map, unlocking that information in a map via the key. And a couple of games that will help build those skills. Uh, there's one called Mondo, which uh, as you're building, you, you mentioned this before, it's sort of a puzzle game where you're picking up tiles and you're laying them down 
and they have different kinds of terrain types on them, and it might be all one terrain type or a variety of them, and you're trying to build a puzzle of it on your board. Um, Tobago has uh, pre-built maps that you sort of assemble, and then you're trying to navigate your way around the map, and it shows, you know, like hills, desert, uh, oceans, you know, these kinds of things. And then um, Tuluva is one where you're basically creating a volcanic island, which gives you another option to talk about um, you know geography and how it changes and you know you keep placing volcanoes on top of volcanoes to you know then create other landscapes which also include you know, forests or jungle and desert and things like that so it, I guess we don't say jungles anymore now they're rainforests <laughs> I'm such a bad well, person actually one of the interesting things about Tobago is that the board ends up becoming three-dimensional and that that can be something as well that is worth talking about you know or uh, an interesting way of, of you know thinking about that that the that a map might be a two-dimensional image um, but it represents three-dimensional terrain and in, in, and a game like Tobago, and there are a few others that use uh, three-dimensional boards that uh, can be an re- interesting way of approaching that topic. You, you meant Tuluva. Tuluva, yeah, sorry. Did I say Tobago? Yep, that's all right. Um, anyway, so I think that uh, that's the simplest form of geography, so it's, it's good to cover that and get it out of the way. But, uh, you know, why else would you need to use, I mean, even if you're not showing real physical geography why why else would geography matter um in a simple way and and how how do you think that uh, that teaching the facets or, or or elements of geography can be assisted by games well i think you know one of the one of the important ones um from my point of view i think you know not only you know i've talked a little bit about the finding information on the map the key um, you know, obviously game boards also that, you know, have a map on them of a particular area, whether it be the USA or Africa or um, the whole world or whatever it might be, give the kids a, a relativistic sort of understanding of where things are in relation to other things. That's important. I think one of the other things is the relationships between, you know, A and B in terms of, um, you know, I'm thinking back to something like Memoir 44 or Tobago, where you're moving around the map and the different types of terrain on that might impact on your ability to move. So it might cost more to move through forests than it does to move across the ground or you know you might have to stop when you when you're trying to cross a hill or whatever it might be. And it's that that recognition that um, the features on the map, the the terrain on the board can uh, impact um, you know your ability to move around it. And it again just gives that gives a bit more of a I suppose insight into the fact that this two-dimensional image that's in front of them is representative of um, you know, a piece of terrain somewhere else in the world or, or whether it's even made up terrain but you still get that same concept across and you, you were sort of just talking before the show mentioned a point about the uses of and the exploitation of different types of geography. Did you want to discuss that a little bit Don? Right, yeah there are some games that don't really have what you would consider a traditional map. It'd be just a game board. But it'll have maybe a forest represented or a quarry represented, you know, or, or mountains. Or even in the Settlers of Catan, for example, that have, you know, hexes and this hex is, you know, pasture-type lands and these house, uh, the, this hex is a mountain and there's a desert where nothing happens. And it, when you roll the dice in Settlers, uh, depending on where you have your settlements built you'll get those kinds of resources. And so just the ability to help children realize things that might include stuff like uh, a geographical advantage in the economy or uh, you know whatever else it is that say, ah, oh, look, I have these places and so I've got the advantage that I'm going to be able to generate bricks and sheep and maybe you're going to have forests and, and generate wood and, and possibly stone or grain. And then... You know, they can sort of see how geography or the physical landscape of the world could impact, uh, you know, maybe the way cultures build or the way that civilizations thrive. You know, it's like there's a reason why some cultures may be renowned for their glasswork and others for their fine porcelain and others for their wonderful cotton and, and you know, things along those lines. And, and that, you know, it sort of helps pull the, well, why does geography matter? And it's like, well... 
uh, geography might matter to you because these rare elements are used in making your cell phones um, and your computers that you like to play your video games on. And so you can bring that sort of into a conversation. I think, you know, following that as well, you know, you're looking at terrain types and saying, uh, you know, in order to build a, a um, you know, a settlement or something like that, what sorts of, ter- you know, let's look at it. You know, people are wanting to live close to water, obviously. They're not building, you know, huge cities out in the middle of the desert unless it happens to be Las Vegas and, you know, <laughs> so on and so forth. And I think, you know, following that as well, you know, following... I suppose your your point a little bit further down the rabbit hole, if I can use that analogy, um, you know, mm-hmm. can, even with older kids, be a gateway into that concept of geopolitics, where you know you've had that realization. Why is it that that kid's got all the oil hexes, <laughs> and uh, that gives you a bit of an insight maybe into some of the even more modern um, geopolitical you know movements and um, you know wars and so forth that have happened to, around the place and and that whole grab grab for and wanting to monopolize different resources around the world why they're important uh, where they're situated and how that impacts on other political interactions between different countries well and i I love that you bring up geopolitical because that'll allow me to jump into a couple of my favorite games and one of them is diplomacy and or colonial diplomacy where you are using a historical map and the players take on the various world powers and you know, then you vie for domination of the world. And each one of these countries or you know, provinces or, 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 you know, depending on how things are broken up, uh, allow the players to realize that, oh, wait, you, you just uh, invaded Austria-Hungary. There's no such thing as Austria-Hungary right now. What, you know, or the, the various, various states and the countries are all broken up a little bit different. Um, what does this mean to me or how come the world's different now? Mm. I think there are uh, a, a real, almost a um, you know, class of games that are civilization building or empire building games where that um, you know monopolization or, or exploitation of resources that appear on the board is uh, extremely important. And, you know, that then influences the way politics in the case of diplomacy, warfare in the case of a lot of other games and diplomacy, um, you know, rolls out across the board. Um, Another interesting one, uh, which is totally unsuitable for my age group, but perhaps might be more suitable for a a high school or even a university level of uh, student is a game called Origins, How We Became Human, which is a civilization game that spans some 10,000 years and looks at um, the evolution of, 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 I suppose, you know, modern, modern, um, the modern world and, and, and from its very, very early beginnings, obviously. And, um, you know, the use of an exploitation of resources around the world is fundamental to that. And there are areas on the board that uh, have more resources available in them or have particular resources available in them. And, um, you know, that can give some players an unfair advantage and and other players need to manipulate or to politic their way into getting access to those things. So, you know, that can lead to interesting discussions or thought experiments um, in that context. So um, I see here that we have a list of games down at the end of of our show notes. And, you know, some of them are groups of games and some of them are... uh, individual games. Let's let's go ahead and talk about some of the geographic games that we like and you know what we think that they add to uh, to the discussion about geography. All right, well I'll I'll, I'll start this one off. I'll start it off with um, the games in the 10 days series. Now these games are published by Out of the Box and are designed by I think by Alan Moon and Aaron Weisblum is Am I correct in saying that? I, um, in any case, there's, there's, there's four games in the series, 10 days in uh, the USA, 10 days in Africa, 10 days in Asia, and 10 days in the Americas. And um, in this set of games, in each of them, you are trying to build a coherent 10-day journey around that particular area. So let's take 10 days in Africa as an example. You're trying to build a coherent 
um, journey around Africa. And uh, you you do that by having cards that, that one next to the other one. And they, there are some special rules about how they can be placed next to one another. But the key thing with the 10 Days series is because they focus on a, on a continental um, landmass or, or a particular geographic region, um, you really must look at where this particular country is in relation to that particular country. And uh, another one actually was 10 days in Europe. So getting to know those particular, you know, continental areas or geographic areas, um, you know, this game series is perhaps one of the one of the very best in that regard because, you know, I'm looking at, um, you know, it might be the states in the US or the countries in Africa or the countries in Europe and how does this one relate to that one? Um, you know, in the Europe game you can use the, the Mediterranean and see to get from you know Greece to to, to Spain or, or whatever it might happen to be. So you're looking at the terrain and you're learning about how the different um, countries, the different locations in on the boards are directly related to all of the others around them. Right, and there's additional information on them, like what the capital and the population as of the time that the game was published, uh, and and that's a huge benefit because you're going to be staring at these different cards and these or these different tiles rather for you know 40 minutes mm. and it's entirely possible that when you're busy with your turn that i might say well i'm trying to figure out my turn oh, i'm done oh what's this now i know who the capital is you know where the capital is for you know various states or whatever so yeah, that's a great series, and it's probably one of the best starter sets yeah. uh, for when you start trying to teach geography because it is so globally comprehensive. It's like they said, how can we break the world up into bits and and utilize it? And sadly, there's no Australia version as of yet out of the box. So I hope uh, that this is going to be remedied if you're listening. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, fantastic series. My only my only hesitation with the 10 Days series is that some of the rules um, are a little specific. You know, kids sort of assume that you can rearrange the tiles in, you know, in, in their 10-day their order. That's really, you know, you can't do just, just rearrange them. It defeats the purpose of the game. There are some little rules like that that can be a little bit problematic when introducing the game to a new group. But fundamentally, once the game is actually in play, it's extremely simple. Um, it's just getting over that initial hurdle of actually understanding what it is they're trying to do. Once that hurdle's right. crossed, however, the game opens up. It is extremely simple to play. Um, just a little bit problematic to explain. I, I would also say that, um, you know, depending on the age group that you're playing with or how young the kids are, that they could get just as much out of the game even if they did rearrange them and, you know, just to get them in the, involved and stuff. So you could print up a rule sheet that is the 10 days junior rules and say, do we want to play with 10 days in Asia the real rules or do we want to use the junior rules where they can rearrange the tiles? Because, I, I, I mean, even though it is a big part of the game, at this point you're just trying to get them to find the places on the map because if it's 10 days in Asia, even I have trouble finding some of these Asian provinces. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and this is another point, a lot of these games can be used um, as tools in other ways without necessarily following the rules of the game. Um, you know, there's no reason why you can't give um, give the kids, you know, deal them out a hand of X amount of cards, you know, three or four cards each, and then they can go and do a little bit of research about those countries or those states or whatever else and and write a, um, you know, a, a fictional travel log of what it was like to go to those places based on their research. You know, there's a lot Lots of different activities that you could uh, bring into the classroom using the pieces of the game without necessarily playing the rules of the game. And, and, and you know, that's something to keep in mind with all of these games is that they can be used in ways beyond the actual, you know, intention of, of the, the game and the game rules. Right. And now there's a whole classification of games called train games. And not all of them actually are focused on the train. Some of them are focused on stocks and and things along those lines. But you know, just using the basic concept of the train games where you are trying to connect two places on the map. And strangely, train games also include some airplane games, some uh, underground railroad games, and, uh, and, you know, 
other other kinds of games where you're moving, you know, creating paths on the board. But uh, for this thing, I would say that for younger kids, a great starter with train games is called Trans America or Trans Europa, uh, where you know the rules are very simple, and uh, they even now come with an expansion in them that make you can choose to add in or not add in that make it a little more complicated, and you're trying to create paths between five different locations on the board and everyone shares some of the same paths eventually and so it is a very fast playing game with very very easy to understand rules you know other games in in various rail systems there's a set of games called the crayon rail games with like empire builder where you're uh, actually drawing on the map to show well here's where i'm building and i'm not going to build through the mountains because that's more expensive I now have to find the best path between these so that I can connect this railroad over there to that railroad. Um, and uh, and while that's a fun game, it, that would be probably better used for one-on-one because the crayon rail games, if it's or you could do it as a class project. But you know, when you get a bunch of people to play, I don't actually recommend them to all play on the same map because that will really slow it down and it takes a long time to play when you do that. Now, do you have any train games that you like? Uh, no, I think um, Trans America, Trans Europa are good ones. Um, and like like you were saying with the Crayon Rail games, um, very simple rules. Um, you, you basically put two pieces of track down on the board, and, and as you say, you're trying to connect all your cities. And the key to the game is that you can use other people's tracks. So it's really about trying to make the most of uh, what everybody else is doing. Whoever can do that best is going to be the winner. But one of the things that I like about it is the fact that, um, you know, the hilly or mountainous areas, um, on the boards, you know, you can't. You, you, they cost more to put to put your pieces of track into, and so some, you know, paths are more expensive than others. Uh, and that, you know, that concept, and as you said, follows up in the crayon rail games in a lot more detail. Um, you know, in games like Steam and and uh, so on, in a lot more detail, is really about. To being aware of the the um, the terrain that is being represented on the board and how it's going to impact what it is you're trying to do, and investigating the theme of that, why that design choice was made, why it is it costs more, is um, you know bringing the 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 three dimensionality, the 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 reality of that board or that area that's being represented to life a little bit. So um, that's why I like those. Absolutely, and if we're talking train games, we we have to mention the Ticket to Ride series. Once again, Alan Moon, who was involved in the 10-day series, yep. I, I guess he likes his geography. Likes his trains. Uh, uh, he really likes his trains as well. He also designed one called Union Pacific. Um, but in uh, uh, Ticket to Ride, you are it's kind of like a set collection game where you're drawing cards to build trains on certain colored paths, um, and you have tickets that say, hey, maybe I need to... Uh, get from Oklahoma out to San Francisco and that'll be one of the routes that you are trying to build on your train. Very interesting game and the neatest thing about that is that there is a cheap iOS app for your iPads that make Ticket to Ride accessible on a variety of platforms and you can also play it on the Xbox 360 and I assume there's a version on android but uh, but i don't know at this point i'm not sure if there's a version on android but you can certainly play it online uh you can play right. it uh, via the board game geek website or via the days of wonder website who uh, are the company that publish it i believe um and that's that's a neat implementation of it and as you say it's a very cheap um app for uh, ipod touches and, and iphones and so forth um, and yeah, great series of games, and they cover you know the U.S., Europe, Germany. Um, you know there there are a bunch of different games that that, that cover different areas around the globe. Right, um, and now I think the next kind that we have to talk about, the next game we need to talk about, is probably one of my favorite games of all time, um, and it's called Pandemic, um, which basically there's diseases spreading across the world, and it shows sort of the I guess it's really the airplane flight hubs on the board, (laughs) and it shows how disease can spread from one location to the other, and you're playing members of the CDC. And, of course, it being a game that was originally published in the U.S., uh, the American Center for Disease Control uh, is is the focus of the game, though I guess you could start if you wanted to have a game that was more focused towards your region, you could put your starting place wherever you wanted to. Um, And 
then you're just basically trying to move around the world, help treat diseases and find cures for the disease. And so, you know, in Asia, there's the red disease, which we always say like, oh, that's the bird flu. <laughs> and, you know, if you go down and uh, there's places where we say, oh, this must be malaria and and just make up different names for all the diseases or we turn them into zombie outbreaks. But uh, the whole purpose is, is that we're trying to save the world uh, from from these things. And so I think Pandemic does a great job because you have cards that will let you travel from place to place or you can move your guys around the board. And uh, travel is a big part of this game. And as again, it's looking at that relationships. You know, where is A? Where is B? How do I get from A to B? Um, you know, oh, gee whiz, there's been an outbreak over in uh, South America. Um, we need someone to get down there, you know, quickly and, and deal with that. So, and it's a neat game as well for other reasons because it's a cooperative game and all the players are working together. Um, it really makes for a different game experience. And, you know, this actually... Uh brings up another point is this is a different kind of map than some of the maps that we've been talking about um it is it and uh ticket to ride have point to point maps Mm. which you show a dot on the map and you have another dot and you're trying to move like from city to city and previously we're talking about the 10 days series which has areas so it would have an area blocked off maybe showing all of Nevada or, you know, all of a area in China, you know, or, you know, Nigeria on, on one of their maps kind of as an area. And so that's a different kind of map than a point-to-point map. Um, and in uh, Trans-Europa, you've got, um, you know, sort of both, I guess. Actually, I guess it's a point-to-point map. Mm. But it's interesting that you can talk about here are the different kinds of maps and the different ways that you can represent geography in games. Uh, You know, be it, uh, hey, look, we just have hexes spread across the landscape, so every piece of terrain is the same size, and then based on what's in it, that's how difficult or expensive it is to maybe move through it or build across it, where in other ones it's here's a weird-shaped box on the map, um, and so maybe it's all of one terrain type or it's all of one political affiliation mm. or whatever. So it's it's a very interesting discussion you can have with your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And another um, of the games that we've got listed here, it's another point-to-point game. It's similar to Pandemic and it's similar to Ticket to Ride um, in some senses. It's National Geographic Expedition. Um, this is an older game, but but it's one game I think is a really it's it's a very good game. It's a uh, full map of the world, and there are three um, different journeys that are taking place across the world. Um, and basically, it, all of the players can add to any of those journeys. So there's different. The, each is represented by a different colour. So there might be um, yellow, red, and blue, or, or whatever the different colours are. I can't remember. Um, but you add basically little arrows down on the board to show where the journey um, is going, where it's been, and um, basically. You've got a, like in Trans-Europa we were talking about in Trans-America, you've got a hand of cards. You want to get the the different expeditions to go to and um, you're trying to manipulate the expeditions so that they get to your cards before they get to anybody else's. So again, you're looking at, uh, you know, different areas of the board and and where is related to where. Um, There are some other little funky scoring um, rules in it that make for an interesting game. But each of the cards also, um, being a National Geographic, uh, or having that National Geographic imprint on them, um, beautiful photography and uh, good information on each of the cards as well. So um, that's a, a really neat set of rules, but the the, bo- the point-to-point map and the uh, the building of the journeys across the world is, makes for a really interesting game. Right. Um, you know, a- another kind of game, and you sort of mentioned this up above, was a, a game where... You know, conflict is an issue, or speed of transport, or speed of moving around is a, is a huge issue. And uh, there are a lot of historical games that take this into account. And specifically, I'm talking war games. And there's a, a relatively new series of games out from Mayfair Games and Martin Wallace. And it's a, I'm going to call it the Test of Fire series, which uh, basically you have a deck of cards um, and dice and the dice are going to tell you what you can do whether you can move or attack or whatever it is 
but it's taking historical scenarios. So they have the Battle of Bull Run in 1861, and they have the Battle of Shiloh, American Civil War. So it might not be real interesting to everyone, but there are a wider variety of war games out there that are you know, battles of Europe or whatever it is for other from other companies. And they will give kids a fairly intimate uh, knowledge of different landscapes depending on how realistic the area is or the maps that you're using. But they'll also understand, you know, on a much smaller level how terrain can affect movement. And I guess we're, we're getting smaller from geography down to terrain well, at this point. Yeah, so maybe it's not as relevant. Another interesting thing about your historical maps and your war games is, um, you know, the detail uh, to which they represent their particular areas. You know, the Battle of Waterloo will show that particular area in, in, in detail if it's a, a war game on that, that particular battle and so on. But one of the, one of the probably more interesting uh, aspects to historical maps is the, the way the geopolitical sort of landscape has changed over time and if you're doing geography through history or you're talking about geography and how it's changed through history this can be a really uh, interesting way of looking at um, you know a map of the world or a map of a particular area um, you know this used to be owned by that country and now it's not you know if we were to bring out a, a, an atlas um, you know 2012 atlas um, the the geopolitical landscape would look very different so that that change over time is a very interesting one, and there are, I, I guess there's there's the the geopolitical side of it where you're looking at uh, you know what the countries look like or um, who controlled what at different points in history, and you know going back to the medieval period and, and earlier, um, and there's also then the the physical uh, natural um, landscape and how that's changed, and there are there are even some games like um, Conquest of Pangaea and and others that you know bios megafauna is another one that look at uh, the changing landscape of the continental land masses of the earth over you know the last 210 160 million years so that's something else that uh, can be an interesting you know gateway into those discussions and you know one way i've found to build enthusiasm at least in in my son and some of the kids at the library is if you're bringing out a historical map and you're showing them hey this was where this battle was fought in in World War Two, or here's here's what happened, you know, and showing them something like that, and you can show them a modern map, maybe even a Google image of, and now here's the city that's built there, mm. <laughs> you know, and just showing them because you know my son never ceases to be fascinated by how things are different now than how they used to be, but if you try and teach it as a history lesson. And only as a, well, back in my time, he tunes me out. But when you say, look, at here's how it is today. If you were going to go there today and here's what you see versus here's what it was like in this game that we were playing then all of a sudden there's a personal connection to what's going on. It's one of those concepts that's very difficult to grasp. There's almost a sense of cognitive dissonance when you're thinking about the degree to which something has changed over time. It can be very difficult, you know, for kids especially, um, to to be, you know, have that, have that contextual understanding of how things have changed. Even, you know, the, not having, you know, things like TV and electricity. I know we're moving away from the topic, but... That, that concept of how things have changed over time is, is very difficult for them to grasp. And, and having that game board out there or, or having that map out there that they're able to look at and then, as you said, pulling up Google Maps or something like that is a great way of, of pointing out the, the difference, of being able to differentiate between this time and this time. Um, and, and, you know, that, that can be a really powerful thing. And another one is the stories that you can build out of it. If you're talking, you know, you were talking about, you know, World War Two, for example. If you're talking about a particular battle in World War Two, and, and, you know, oh, the soldiers, you know, managed to take the bridge and it was heavy fighting, it was very difficult for them, you can tell the story and the kids can, you know, can be engaged in that story and the rest of it. If you've got a game board out there, and you can show them how, you know, where the, all, all of the, you know, little men on the board might be and so forth. It just gives an, another another way for them to contextualise what it is they're, they're hearing and it can be a really powerful tool. You know, if we're going off topic, um, I have to say that I recently saw online a series of photographs that merge a modern location and World War II, uh, World War II photos. So they had 
pictures of you know like rubble lying on the street or soldiers sitting on a staircase and that was sort of in the black and white or the sepia and white and then to the outer sides of it they would show here's what the neighborhood sort of looks like around that scene and if you can tag specific locations in a game with okay so maybe you have to go from you know toronto to oklahoma in this train game uh well, go find me a picture or a bit of information about Toronto. Or, you know, here's something that I can share with you about these cities that you're going to or going from to make it more of an educational experience. And I know that whenever we play train games, uh, you know, I'll end up talking about, oh, I used to live here, and here's something that happened at these locations. Uh, it always it makes for an interesting, you know, discussion point. Uh, what about um, games that feature fauna? We've talked about Mondo. Um, we've talked, you know, you mentioned biomes before. Um, this is, you know, edging into curriculum areas like science and so forth, where they're starting to learn about um, ecosystems and habitats um, and and all of that sort of thing. Um, what sort of games have you found, or, or can you think of that tie in there, Don? I love it when you throw me the softball questions. <laughs> um, so you mentioned Fauna, and that has to be my favorite all-time uh, game that deals with, well, Fauna. Uh, basically, it, originally it was released in German, so it used the metric system. But there are questions that basically would show you a picture of an animal. And it might even give you the name, I think. And then you have to figure out where on the board it is. And so everybody's going to take turn putting out cubes as to where they think these come from. And also, there's a little track down at the bottom which shows, well, how big do you think the body is? How much do you think it weighs? How big? Is, how long is the tail? If it has a tail, and it lets you know whether or not the tail is eligible. And so you're dealing with a whole bunch of different issues with your car, uh, with your cubes. And if you get within a certain closeness to being correct, then you get your cubes back and points. Otherwise, you're cubes are sort of removed from the game until you earn one back per turn for uh you know for good behavior so to speak <laughs> and that's the game is you go through and you answer these questions and you get points based on how close to being exactly right you are and it's amazingly I've never fun. played this game but i love the look of it i love the the you've got the big map of the world and it's a trivia game all about animals and you know, it's, it's got a lot of things that I really like the sound of in it. Um, and I was really glad to hear that you say that it uses the metric system. Well, actually, uh, the new version has as both the imperial and the metric system. So it's great now to use if you want to teach, uh, you know, sort of the differences between the two. Because you could play the game once through with whatever your native version is. Though I'm really not suggesting that people who do use the metric system devolve <laughs> into using uh, the uh, imperial system but yes we could even go back to even more archaic uh, measurement systems how many cubits long is it snout oh oh you're killing me all right <laughs> just because my apologies to uh american listeners out there well, you know, we should be on the metric system, but uh, oh well. It would make the working with the International Space Station much easier if we were all on the metric system. So, Don, moving on from dyed-in-the-wool board games and card games, what about moving into the sphere of electronic and digital games? Um, well, you know, there's a, a large variety of, of games that, that deal with it, and most of what we've talked about in board games is some way or another mapped into video games. Mm. Um, but if you've ever played a massively multiplayer game, the uh, terrain and geography of these games is very, very important. So, for example, in World of Warcraft, you have this huge map. And, you know, there are different uh, allegiances or different alliances that control various areas. So you have both political and physical geography. And, you know, even though it's very fantastical, uh, you know, you can say, look, uh, you know, this is a much, you know, it's much easier to hunt on planes than it is to hunt in a giant forest or whatever it is. And, and there are, it's tougher to convince a child to stop and understand that they're learning something when they're playing a video game. But on the other hand, if they're playing games where, uh, like XCOM, where you're moving a squad of men about, and it's like, oh, I need to take you know, 
cover with my guys, and in some environments it's easier for me to do so, or in other environments it's much tougher, then that becomes an issue. I think is it that reflection time afterwards, you know, where some of those discussions can come out, it can be an important point. It's probably not something that you can do as naturally in a library setting, but it's certainly something um, that that sort of more naturally fits into the into the way a classroom and a lesson is structured. So something we probably, um, you know, as a school teacher find to be a little bit easier to bring in. But that reflective sort of uh, practice is, is a really powerful uh, learning point. It's a, it's a really important aspect or part of the lesson. And actually, I would like to do th- an episode on, um, you know, prep, pregame prep with kids discussing, you know, how to get across educational bits during a game and then how to how to do a good debriefing because quite honestly there has to be a way to do this better in libraries uh you know even if it's well while you're putting away the game here's how you do it so i'd like for us to to do an episode that spo- that focuses specifically on the briefing debriefing and you know learning opportunities capitalizing on learning opportunities within all gaming oh, that's a events. great topic um i suppose getting getting back to um you know some of those things uh, you know geography um we use ipods uh, a little bit in our classes and um on our ipods we've got uh, not games so much, but atlases, um, quiz games that involve finding towns, continents, etc., etc. Um, you've also, of course, got your little computers like your Leapfrog Globes and things like that that have games in them. Um, you know, find um, the Atlantic Ocean or find uh, Dublin or whatever it might happen to be. Um, and then with computer games, one of the things that that we that I tend to do more often than than using you know disc based computer computer games is using a lot of the flash games that you find on websites around the place um, you know national geographic kids the website that they've got um, has got a bunch of flash games on there that are that are um, geography orientated and there are plenty of um, you know websites around the place that um, have some really really good um, you know games that involve you know moving between continents doing all those all those things that we've already discussed in con- in, in relation to board games but you know in the computer game settings so there's a lot of those out there as well so one of our fun activities to do around here in the middle of winter is to go out on the beach and take a picture of us looking casual and sometimes in our short sleeves and shorts and uh, then you know taking those pictures and sending them to our friends who are up in syracuse who are under 12 feet of snow um, you know and uh, sort of leveraging our uh, our geographic advantage to uh, you know make people wish that they weren't in Syracuse. That that's a, sounds like a yeah, cruel but enjoyable pastime, Don. It is. <laughs> and, and so frequently we'll talk about, uh, you know, if we're in a game or if we're just hanging out in the game room, because sometimes you can use, you know, a game environment to talk about things that kids wouldn't normally sit still and <laughs> and listen to, is, you know, talk about, well, hey, here's the weather here. Um, what do you think about the big storm that hit the New York? Or mm. what do you think about, you know, with these elements? And, you know, how does geography play a part of that? Which, you know, not really a game activity, but it, it's it's an activity that goes on around gameplay. It's just encouraging discussion. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really important one. And weather and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, you've got your, obviously, apps and things like that that you can get on your iPods or um, devices. And, and, of course, you've got, um, you know, lots of animated websites that, um, you know, show, you know, what, what's going on in, in that, you know, meteorological maps and so forth um, that can be really handy for that. And, and looking at different areas and, um, you know, thinking about, as you said, you know, the areas that are warmer, the areas that are cooler and um, yeah, the areas that get a lot of rain, the areas that don't get a lot of rain and why those uh, why those things happen is, is another way of looking at um, you know the natural world. Right. Now, trivia is something we haven't covered too much except for in, in fauna. Mm. But if you've got a game like Wits and Wagers or, or any other trivia game, you could easily make a game out of, all right, kids, go out into the library or you know onto the internet or wherever it is and find the answer to these geographical questions. 
and or make up X number of questions and then create your own trivia game. And then each child will have some knowledge that the others who are participating don't have because they'll have made some of the questions. And then they'll get to answer, ask those questions to the group or whatever it is and, and, and have the answer. And so everybody will be participating. And it could be like, well, where is the capital of so-and-so or what's you know how many people are in this city or what's the average rainfall of that you know you know this state things along those lines and and you can work geography into one of your activities you know so i mean i've done a little bit of that though most of the trivia stuff i've done has been you know dealing with you know economics um but we've done some with geography i think you know following that on you know you're almost talking about playing like a treasure hunt style game or an easter egg style game where you send the kids off to find something and it could be it could be a list of trivia questions like that it could be as simple as you know if you pull up you know 10 or 15 locations on uh, google earth and, and look at them in street view and um you know just write down some questions to do with those you know what what's um on what shop is this sign, you know, in in this particular location and so forth, and then get the kids to, you know, move themselves around around the globe in in Google Street View, looking at those things. Um, and another one, I suppose, is is a program like uh, Google SketchUp, you know, three D modelling program that's free to download, and you can download, um, you know, natural, sorry, man made, um, you know, features from around the world. So whether it's the pyramids or the temples of Luxor or or um, you know, the Empire State Building or whatever and, and have a walk around it and see what it looks like, you know, from a 3D model point of view. So those are some of the other things that you can do as well. Yep, very nice. So there's all kinds of geography out there. Bring it into your school or library. Absolutely, and I think, well, this, this discussion has been fairly well-travelled so far, so it <laughs> might be time to wind it up, I think, Don. <laughs> Excellent. Um, speaking from the Northwestern Hemisphere, I'm Donald Dennis. And speaking from the Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> I'm Giles Pritchard. You've been listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. Uh, if you've got any discussion points or things that you'd like to uh, pull us up on, errors that we've made, uh, criticisms you'd like to share or feedback you'd like to give, we'd love to hear it. You can contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com or or head over to our website, gameschoolslibraries.com. And we have a guild on Board Game Geek. Indeed. So we'd love to see any comments or feedback in any of those locations or places. (laughs) Until next time, in any case, this has been Games in Schools and Libraries. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.